This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'm going to start in uh, Romans chapter 5 this morning. We've been teaching for the last several weeks uh, on the subjects of righteousness. It's, uh, well, righteousness should be Christianity 101. It should be the most basic and foundational truth that we have knowledge of. But unfortunately, it seems that too much of the church doesn't have knowledge of it or doesn't accept what the Bible says about it to be true. And I I understand that. I understand why that is. I'm sure we all do. Because we're oftentimes, Christians are more conscious of their shortcomings and their failures than they are what Jesus has done for them. But there's nothing more important than what Jesus has done for us. Amen? I'm going to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if or since... By one man's offense, talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden. For since by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now we know in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible tells us the creation account of when man was created. God said, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost we're apparently in conference, and God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. One translation of that verse says it this way, that God made a duplicate of himself. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. He's not just talking about appearance, he's talking about nature. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and everything that's on the earth. Now in Psalm 8, verse 4, I believe it is, the angels, uh, the book of Hebrews uh, recounting this uh, part of the scripture, says that the angels said to one another, or to the Father at creation, who is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? I like to think back on what things must have been like at the time that God created man. The angels, who of course have experienced a lot of things that happened before the earth was ever formed, they saw Lucifer fall from a place of authority. They saw him take a third of the angels with him. The devil must be pretty persuasive to take a third of the angels against in rebellion against God. I think we need to realize that. If he can persuade the angels who were serving at the throne of God to follow him in rebellion, he must be persuasive. I say that only because I think that's important for us to recognize so we give ourselves a break when we get persuaded to do the wrong thing. Nevertheless, the angels who have seen the fall of Satan, Lucifer, who became Satan, When God announces that he's going to make man, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, the angels are flabbergasted. They say, what is this thing called man? Which means man hadn't existed before that time. What is this thing called man that you would make him a little lower than yourself? 
King James translation says a little lower than the angels, but the word angel there is the word Elohim. It's the word that's used for God in the first five chapters of Genesis. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou hast visited him? You made him a little lower than yourself and gave him dominion over all the works of your hands. We know that's how things started off. We know that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Made in the image and likeness of God has to mean that he had all the characteristics that we know of of God. If God is holy, then man had to be holy if he was a duplicate of himself. If God was righteous, and of course, thank God he is, then man had to be righteous. Now, I would imagine, or when I do imagine, what that was like, Adam was formed by the dust, from the dust of the earth by the hand of God. And then God breathed in him, and, he's, and the Bible says he became a living soul. God breathed his own spirit into Adam. Adam now is a living soul. There's no growing up for Adam. One moment he is not, and the next moment he is. Now, wouldn't it be silly for Adam as soon as he created, to look around, see the earth that God had made, and the intellect that God had must have placed in, a, in uh, Adam at the beginning is astounding when you consider it. <clears throat> Science tells us that we only use about 10% of our brains, brain's capacity. I think that's a high estimate for some. But Adam had 100% of his use, the use of his brain. The intellect that he had is almost incomprehensible. He was able to name the animals, all the living things, all the things that God had created on the earth. God said, what do you want to call that? And Adam had the intellect to operate in conjunction with God's plan and purpose. Wouldn't it have been silly for Adam to walk around saying, you know, I'm not worthy of this place. Wouldn't it have been silly for God <clears throat> to walk with Adam in the cool of the day and Adam say, you know, we got to quit doing this. I, I just don't feel right about this. No, he was born as a son of God, created as a son of God with God's righteousness as the source of his life. He accepted it. He didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't pat himself on the back and say, wow, look what I've done, because he didn't do anything. He was born into the characteristics and the nature of God. But we know that he fell. We know that he was tempted of the devil, persuaded to break the commandment of God. You remember God told him, you can eat of every fruit of the tree, trees of all the garden, except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because Adam didn't die physically that day. But he did die spiritually. Spiritual death is defined in its simplest terms as separation from God. He was separated. Instantly, he was separated from God. He no longer had God's nature. He no longer had God's righteousness. He no longer had God's holiness. The Bible says Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world in other words, God's plan was for Jesus to provide himself a sacrifice before he ever made man, before Lucifer ever fell, before there was a heaven and an earth. 
So he came up and developed a plan for redemption where Jesus would go to the cross and shed his blood. But folks, I want you to understand something. I think this is something that, that, that is lost on us by and large, on the, lost on the church world. A redemption or a plan for a redemption that does not restore man to righteousness is worthless. A redemption that leaves man bound by feelings of guilt and condemnation is worthless. That means as far as experience goes, the redemption that most of the church world thinks is, is, is it. And all there is to it is worthless as far as God is concerned. Notice our text here in verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. We'll read it again. For if or since by one man's offense, that's Adam uh, disobeying God in the Garden of Eden. Since by one man's offense, death, spiritual death, reigned by the one. Much more, much more. That means the plan of redemption is even greater in power and greater in strength than the fall of man. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> well, we can say it this way. Here's what God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul. He's saying that the restoration of man through God's plan of redemption, through the shed blood of Jesus, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. God's plan for redemption is to restore man to a place of reigning in life. Anything else, anything less than that, that outcome, reigning in life for you and for me, is not what God's planned. Did you hear that? Anything less than that is not God's plan of redemption according to his plan and purpose. It's an interesting thing that the Bible talks about things as already being accomplished. Things that man and Christians worldwide struggle with, God says is already done. See, for most people, they're trying to overcome sin. But turn the, turn the page to chapter 6 of Romans and see what the Bible already says about that. Notice verse 14. Well, we'll start in verse 13. It says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For, verse 14, for or because, sin shall not have dominion over you. Paul is not saying that. We hope it doesn't. But that must be the way that most Christians read that. We hope sin doesn't have dominion over us because we're trying to be righteous. Righteousness is a gift. The Bible says Christ has made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There's no one day we might be righteous. The Bible says you are. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. 
Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. They that receive the abundance of grace, which means everything Jesus provided for us, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life as by one Jesus Christ. It's a gift. The Bible talks about justification. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to me. Um, look back to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 again. I want you to see the last verse of the chapter. It tells us about Abraham's example of faith and how that it was counted to him for righteousness. King James says imputed. It's an accounting term. It means God credited it to him for righteousness. Abraham wasn't declared righteous before God because he kept the law or perform some duties. He was counted righteous before God because he accepted what God said. He believed in what God said. Then in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, verse 24, it says, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, is counted unto us as righteousness too, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses. And was raised again for our justification. The word for, F-O-R, is, is, in, uh, is a poor translation. Because this is an, an adjective or an adverb or whatever. English majors would tell us. But the word is descriptive of, of a point in time. Not a reason why. So when it says Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification, it literally means raised when we were justified. So a price had to be paid. The wages of sin is death. A price had to be paid for Adam's sin that brought death upon spiritual death upon all of mankind. A price had to be paid. Now it's also interesting to me that God, the Bible says God had to do it in such a way. Chapter 3 of Romans in verse 26 says that God declared his righteousness in such a way that he might be just and the justifier of them that believe on him. In other words, God couldn't just say, well, we're going to change the plan here a little bit. I don't really want Jesus to suffer the entirety of man's penalty. I love my son so much that I don't want to see him suffer. So we're just going to cut the corner. We're just going to say that sin is laid on Jesus and then he can do the suffering on the cross, and then I can raise him from the dead three days later, and we'll just count that as done. God had to do it in such a way that he could maintain his holiness. In other words, the real price for man's sin, a specific punishment, a specific penalty, had to be paid. And God couldn't stop it one second short. That's what verse 24 means. Jesus was raised again when we were justified. 
there was a specific moment in time where the price was justifiably paid, righteously paid. And then the Bible says that that's when Jesus was raised from the dead. But if Jesus was made sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If Jesus became sin, and I think we confuse ourselves sometimes by the idea of sin being laid on Jesus, being something other than Jesus' change of nature. What I mean by that is simply this. When Adam disobeyed God, his nature changed. He died spiritually. Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So somebody is going to have to die spiritually. Somebody with holy, righteous blood is going to have to die spiritually. That means be separated from God. That means become sin itself and the nature of sin itself. Well, how does Jesus come back from spiritual death? We know on the cross he committed his, hand, he committed his spirit into the Lord's hands, his Father's hands. Up until that time, he said, no man can take my life from me, but I can lay it down willingly, which he did. Last thing he said on the cross before he died was, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. That means it's not under his control anymore. Prior to that point in time, Jesus could walk out of trouble anyway or any time, anyhow he wanted to. There were times where the Jews tried to kill him. One time they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. The Bible says he just passed through the midst of them. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means he walked away and they didn't see him or he walked away and they couldn't touch him. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. I just know that it did work. But when you get to the cross and the account that the Bible gives us, Jesus gives up his right to his own life. For our sakes. He committed his spirit into the hands of God. And he suffered the punishment for three days. To pay the price for man's original sin. Psalm 88 gives us a little hint of what, what that was like. Speaking prophetically of Jesus in the, in the belly of the earth in the pit of hell. Which it would have to be the place that he went. If Jesus died spiritually, he had to go to the place of the spiritually dead, did he not? That's another corner God can't cut if he's going to be righteous in this work. So in the pit of hell, the Bible tells us in Psalm 88 that the waves of God's wrath, one after another, came upon Jesus. Jesus isn't sitting somewhere in paradise watching the clock thinking all right well i'm just going to stay here for three days and then after that it'll all be fine those three days were hell literally he's experiencing all the penalty all the punishment for man's original sin the wages of sin is death and in in paul's day the early days of the church this wasn't an issue that was argued over like it is today. 
Paul wrote most of the, the, um, the information he did about righteousness to the Romans in the first Corinthians or to the church at Corinth and the church at Rome. He wrote to them, and his main theme or point to make about righteousness was that you can't earn it. It's by faith, not by law. Very few times does Paul try to establish the fact that we've been made righteous. That was accepted. That was a truth that was not argued over, apparently. It wasn't a controversial subject. So he makes the point about it being by faith through the grace of God, the gift of righteousness rather than what you and I do to earn it, which you can't. So Jesus, in the place of the unrighteous dead, is paying the price for you and me. He's operating as our substitute. But then the Bible says something glorious happened. The life of God comes back upon Jesus. He's justified in spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He's justified. That means made righteous. He's made righteous in spirit. Raised to sit on the right hand of God forevermore as proof that we have access into heaven. Now, what raised him up? What brought life back to Jesus? Romans 14, 9, I believe it is, says that Jesus both died, rose, and revived. We think of the resurrection as him rising from the dead. We think of that being where he picked up his body again on his way to the Father. As Hebrews 10 tells us, he offered his blood in the heavenly holy of holies and then was seated at the right hand of God. Well, that's true, all right, but what revived him to be able to do that? If God is operating justly, which he had to, then the total price for sin, man's sin, had to be paid. And that's what Jesus did. Therefore, it means that in some form, in some way, the Holy Spirit, at that moment in time when man's price was paid, had to come back upon Jesus and cause him to be reborn. His spiritual nature changed. Just like, just like happens with you and me. He died, he rose, and he revived. That's why the Bible tells us that we have the same life that Jesus had, has. That's why the Bible tells us that we're joint heirs with Christ, equals, because the same life that comes to us by the new birth, the work of the Holy Spirit, is what happened to Jesus. That, rose, that raised him from hell to the presence of God. Here's the point. Jesus could no more be unmade, the righteousness of God, than you or I. Let me say that again. Jesus can no more be unmade, the righteousness of God, than can you and I. 
That means the life that Jesus has sitting at the right hand of the Father is not the life that he had while he was here on the earth. That spirit was made sin. Paul made some interesting statements about this. And if you, if you read through what Paul wrote to the church, it seems that the way that he describes it indicates to me a progression or a growth in spirit about what belongs to us and how. Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means when Jesus died spiritually, so did you. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus' life is your life. Jesus' life is your life. Jesus' righteousness, which is of God, not of himself, is the same righteousness that you have. For God made Jesus to be sin for you in your place that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, when Nicodemus came to uh, Jesus under cover of darkness in John chapter 3, he made a simple statement trying to get to the source or looking for the source or, or wanting to have information about the source of Jesus' miracles. He said, Master, we know that, that God is with you that you're come from God because nobody can do the miracles that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus says you must be born again. Now Jesus didn't change subjects. Nicodemus is focusing on the same thing that most of us do, I think. He's focusing on the power of God, the miracle working power of God. And Jesus says it all comes down to being born again. Jesus didn't say, no, Nicodemus, you've got it all wrong. It's not about the miracles. He's telling him the, the entry point. He's describing the entrance to the supernatural realm where miracles are done. He said, you must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? You must be made righteous. Romans 10, 10, 10 9 and 10 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I don't think we put the right emphasis on righteousness. We mean the modern day church. Jesus was able to stand before his father in every circumstance and know that God heard him. Before Lazarus' tomb, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and that you hear me always. Why? How could Jesus know that God always hears him? Because he has the same righteous nature as his Father. So do you. The Bible says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives in you. What is he doing in there? He's there to strengthen you. He's there to help you. Rely on the help of the Holy Ghost in everything that you do. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Somebody once said in theological circles, they said, it seems that there's a parallel line between Jesus' life and our life. And folks, they missed it entirely. It's not a parallel line, it's the same line. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.